Folks, we uh, continue our series, which we began last week, called Believe, as we're looking at these incredible passages in John's Gospel. John 14 to 17 is known as the Farewell Discourse. It is this intimate set of um, conversations and prayers that Jesus has with the 11 remaining disciples. They've begun their, or they've had their meal, the Passover feast, the Last Supper. Jesus has broken bread. He's given thanks. They've drank wine. He's washed the disciples' feet. Uh, Judas has left to go betray Jesus, literally. And he embarks on these conversations, these, these words preparing them for what is to come. And we began uh, last week looking at the beginning of John 14 where Jesus begins to unpack this very unique relationship that he has with the Father. And it's very much centered around the Father and the Son, how the Father was in the Son and the Son was in the Father. And he said that he only spoke the words and did the things that he did in and through the authority that the Father had entrusted to him. He then also began to liken this unique relationship that he and the Father has with us, his people. And he likens that very much to the disciples, but it also includes us. And so we're going to continue this journey, and we're going to do this over the next number of weeks. And I'd encourage you to, to, to follow along. Come with us on the journey. It's a series. It will last a few weeks. And like any good Netflix series, you're not going to want to miss a single episode, or you're not going to kind of know what the next kind of chapter or the next episode is. So we continue, and we're going to conclude the, uh, the first chapter of 14. We're 14, 15 to 27. Uh, if, like me, you're not an auditory learner, this is the moment where you tune in the brain and you try and stick with the words and try and get as much of it from this 90 seconds, possibly, of reading. Uh, so 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So remembering a significant part of this entire series is to better help us understand this unique relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week, very much centered around the relationship between Father and Son. This week, Jesus begins to introduce the Holy Spirit, who is God. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus is saying, he's the Son, he's going to say to the Father, Father, send them another advocate, the Holy Spirit. The word advocate, the Greek word, means, uh, is spoken of as parakletos, which simply means sent. It means sent one, the one called alongside, the one who speaks in our defense. If you were to Google it or dictionary what the word advocate, it's one who stands alongside with someone else. I used this analogy maybe two years ago, and I'm going to use the very same analogy again today as we celebrate Terry Cavan, who uh, celebrated his 70th birthday in the week past. Terry, um, during his uh, working career, was a car salesman, uh, but he's not like—he's uh, not like your traditional. I was going to say Del Boy. Um, who was the one? Uh, no, no, no. In in Only Fools and Horses, just died. Boise. He's not quite like Boise. He's a—he's a dead-on car salesman. So, it's—it's it's like. Anyone who buys a car, it's quite a big deal, right? You go, and I know nothing about cars as long as it's got four wheels and it gets me from A to B. But I kind of had an idea what I wanted, and I found this car. I've been searching. I thought, that, that seems pretty good, but I don't want to go it alone. I didn't, I didn't want to go. And I was like, Terry, mate, w would you come with me? And so the two of us went up to one of the places up on Boucher Road there, and literally this young uh, personified car salesman, I have to say, <laughs> sat and he was giving it all the chit-chat and all, the, all the, the, the whatever. And I just sat there beside Terry and he did all the talking. And I tell you, like, I thought I was a bit brassy and was good at blagging stuff. This man here grilled this young fella. He did not know. It was a Monday morning. God love him. He thought, I'm in for a quick sale here until he met his match with Terry, who literally just went on and on at various things, trying to get the best deal possible, and we got a great deal. Terry was my advocate that day. He stood in alongside me and spoke on behalf of another. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus is beginning to introduce, is one who speaks on behalf of another. And we're going to learn, we're going to unpack much more about the person of the Holy Spirit over these next uh, coming uh, weeks. But really to understand, again, the context of which Jesus is speaking into. In, th in, in a few hours' time, Jesus is going to die. In three days later, he is going to come back to life again. And in a few weeks' time, 
He's going to return to the Father. And Jesus is preparing his followers, his disciples, for another advocate. And the word another really is that Jesus was their advocate. He was their one that journeyed with them, that, that, that taught them, that showed them the way to the Father. But Jesus, knowing that he's going to return to the Father, is going to send another advocate Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is so loving. This is so thoughtful of him because he knows their very lives are going to be upturned and devastated at his loss. He is saying to them, I will not leave you. I appreciate that for some this is quite painful. Uh, just even the, the, the feeling or the reality of becoming orphans, those of us who have lost our parents, uh, children perhaps whose parents are not actually present in our lives, that feeling of, of being alone, the reality is that God is with us and is present. Never will he leave us nor forsake us. For those of us who have children, the ability to draw alongside them when they're fearful, when they're afraid, when they're feeling lonely, when they're having to face a situation. I remember time and time again with our children, and still do now, when they're having to face a certain thing, and you just know as a parent, as a dad or as a mother, you want to be with them in that situation. You want to be their advocate. You want to draw alongside, but you can't. You know they're going to have to face it themselves. And in those moments, it's just the wonderful teaching opportunity of the reality that God is with you, saying, I know you've got that difficult test tomorrow. I know you're going to have that conversation with that teacher or with your friend who is mean to you, whatever it might be. But know this, that God is with you. And why don't you yourself pray for yourself, just simply inviting the Holy Spirit to be present with you in that reality. And then for all of us, aren't you so glad that we are not alone? Aren't you so glad that the Holy Spirit, that God is with us. It is a reality. It's not just something that we read about in the book or that we say to one another. It is a reality that he is with us. The Holy Spirit, the advocate who draws alongside, who's been sent to us by Jesus and the Father, that we would not be left as orphans. Jesus says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus, again, is clearly stating that very soon, you're not going to see me any longer. But as I live, you'll live because I am in the Father and uh, let me go through it. The, the reading of this English word may sound strange. Jesus says, I am in the Father. You, that's the disciples and us, are in me. That's Jesus. I, Jesus, 
am in you, us and the disciples. What does it actually mean to be in? That singular two-letter word, what does it actually mean? Well, of course, obviously, it's in relationship, that there's relationship uh, between the Son and the Father and then the Son and the Father and ourselves. But it actually also literally means in us. Those of us who have become a Christian, at some point in our journey, we prayed the sinner's prayer, which isn't in the book, by the way, but we at one point made this conscious decision, yes, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. We literally, don't we in that prayer, whoever made it up, uh, and there's so many versions and there's no official version, but what we're actually doing in that moment is saying, God, I am alone. I'm making a rick of my life. The choices that I'm making are not leading me to life. I choose to surrender my life and in so doing, invite you in to take control of my life. I've been driving this car recklessly. I'm inviting you to drive the car of my life. I'm inviting you in. And in that moment, Jesus, by the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit, enters into our lives. As we respond to the invitation, as we read in Revelation, as He's one who stands at the door and knocks. And we respond to that invitation. And we say, yes, come in. There is a reality that the Holy Spirit comes to us at that moment and dwells in us and lives in us. But as well as that, we are made in his image, literally. And his fingerprints and his godly reality is all over our lives, every single bit of it. In fact, it threads right the way through our physical being. Uh, Some of you may have seen this video which we're about to show. It is top class brilliant. Lasts about five minutes and hopefully it will play um, and I want you to enjoy this. The tour was winding down last time around. We were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walks up to me. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. He says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down. Uh, where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool. What are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God and the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist. So I kind of stumbled through what I had and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like, "Uh uh-huh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? You gotta have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie, oh man, your left hook is laminin. And I'm I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule, protein molecule. Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. 
He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like... All right. He said, no, Louie, it's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louie. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. Okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. Like, I don't even know how to spell laminin. <laughs> Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like... That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! <laughs> I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. <laughs> you should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. How crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. 
And he goes on at the end of this paragraph, and he just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That's a pretty good left hook, isn't it? That his, it's in us, it's in us. We are in him and in him and through him. All things are held together. I'm going to fast forward and just kind of brush over what I have left this morning. The rest of the text that we've read this morning begins to unpack and understand that if we love him, we'll obey his commands. And it simply is saying this, that the more that we entrust our lives to him, the more likely we're going to follow him the more that we experience his relationship and his affection, his love and his ways for us, we're just going to walk in his ways and do the very things. And as we do that, the Father will come and take up residence in our lives. He must increase and we must decrease. We must have more of him and less of him. I've shared this a number of times when I became a Christian many years ago now. Um, he was the prison chaplain, not that I was in prison. Uh, I was visiting the prison. Uh, built a little bit of relationship with this guy as I was wrestling through teenage life and trying to follow Jesus at the same time and the, the wrestle between the flesh and, and the spirit and everything like that. And, and he used to say to his inmates, and he said to me, just give God, you know, 5%. Just give him 10% and just see what he does. And it was almost like this, yes, when we give our yes to Jesus, we give ourselves to him. But it's this process of sanctification as we surrender and give more and more of ourselves to him. That he begins to take more and more ground or more and more of our lives and our affection. We come into the last few verses. Jesus again is speaking to his disciples. He reminds them at the end what he introduced at the beginning of this bit that we've read. All this I have spoken whilst still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Isn't that amazing? He's going to go, but he's saying, but the Holy Spirit, the sent one, will teach you and will remind you of all of these things that I have said. It's a good job John was there with his pen and his notebook taking notes because obviously he was able to recall the very things that he said, but it's the Holy Spirit who reminds us and continues to reveal to us the Father and the Son. The last few words. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
some of the most comforting, incredible words, again, understanding the context of what they're soon to face. But we can apply these very words so much to our lives. He leaves them with peace. He's the giver of peace. It is something that we can experience. It's not just something nice that we read on Christmas cards. It, again, is a reality that Jesus offers to us who are choosing to follow him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He says those very words at the very beginning. If you were here last week, at the very beginning of the chapter, he says those words, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid.